0: Welcome everyone, I am Bob Wordslocker, the Director of the Respect Life Office for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and this is our video podcast series that we call Being Pro-Life. Each month, we discuss a different topic in the Respect Life arena. We'll hear a personal story from someone deeply affected by that issue, and finally, we'll share ways that you can get involved. This week, we're talking about taking care of our elderly in long-term care facilities, and as always, we have a special guest. Will you please introduce yourself?
1: Hi, my name is Angie Homeli, and I work for Catholic Charities Southwestern Ohio. I coordinate the Caregiver Assistance Network, and I work under our Department of Senior and Caregiver Support Services. So I'm very glad to be here today. Thank you for inviting me.
0: So Angie, thanks so much for being on the show today. We're talking about taking care of our elderly in long-term facilities, but the pandemic has also affected this. So how has this pandemic affected the mental health of those living in our long-term care facilities today?
1: I would say that mostly, just like everyone else, the pandemic has affected those in long-term care facilities just in terms of greater isolation and increased isolation. But if you think about it, one thing that's kind of heartbreaking and maybe is a good thing that's come out of the pandemic, it's kind of brought into this focus. People who live in long-term care facilities, especially in skilled nursing, maybe not so much in independent or assisted living, but in skilled nursing, especially They are lonely to begin with. They did not get a lot of visitors. They struggle with loneliness and isolation already. And so then the pandemic just kind of increases that. And so they've lost a lot of their range of services. So maybe they used to be able to get their hair done, or they used to have live entertainment, or go on outings. Those kind of things have all been cut back. And then services, even such as hospice, you know, you get the very bare minimum in some of the places because of the restrictions. You don't get the chaplain, you don't get the spiritual, you don't get the volunteers coming in, you, you know, you don't get the massages, that kind of palliative care that hospice is known for. So a lot of that restriction has really affected a lot of people. That a lot of people move to long-term care, maybe they move to assisted or independent living, they do that for the socialization because they want to be in a community. So now when you can't go to the communal dining room, you have to eat in your room. You can't go to the game nights or the movie night that the facilities offer. It it just increases that isolation. So I think that's the biggest thing.
0: I didn't even know that. So, I mean, I was well aware that families are much more restricted in visiting their loved ones Some people who don't have many visitors as it was would get even fewer. It didn't even occur to me that some of those outside services, even within their own community, Maybe it depends on where, but your communal lunches are no longer. People are just in their rooms all day now, instead of being able to visit their own community members.
1: In some places, yeah. You know, they're trying to keep people separate as much as possible, not have them congregate even within these communities. We'll we'll talk a little bit later about different adaptations people are making. The facilities are doing the best that they can. But it's similar to think about, you know, like we're trying to stay in our home separate as we can. Everybody has to make their own risk assessments, but it's really hard when you're in long-term care and you have other people making those decisions for you.
0: All right. So Angie, so you already brought it up. So with these restrictions and the inability to even congregate with your own (laughs) friends that you have within the facility, right? What are some of these adaptations that families and facilities are, are making to address these challenges that are happening because of the pandemic?
1: The facilities and, the, and families have had to become very creative on how they communicate. One thing I want everyone to know is that if you live in long-term care, you, as a resident, you have a right for, to have visitors. And so that's something that's been a struggle. That doesn't mean that the facility can't modify the visitations to be telephone visits or video conferencing type visits or outdoor visits. So they've been making appointments and, make, and having outdoor visits, those kind of things. Doing the drive-by parades some of the facilities I've heard about, the activity directors are, are coming up with more individualized activities. If an outbreak happens at the facility, you've got, you'll have got have residents in quarantine. And so going in and spending time individually with folks to keep them active and that kind of thing. One thing that's interesting is if your loved one is in a facility and you notice that there's been a decline, you're sure that they are suffering because of loneliness or increased isolation. You used to come in and visit all the time and now you can't. And a lot of family members do a great service and really enhance the quality of life of their loved one in long-term care by being there just on a daily basis or a weekly basis and involving them in activities. You can request to be a compassionate care visitor. You work with the community and you ask the community if your family can designate one, usually just one person in the family has to kind of volunteer to be that compassionate care visitor and then you're allowed to schedule visits and you can go in. Now, a lot of times that means that you have to agree to testing. Just like as if you were a staff member, you have to be tested regularly in order to be able to go into the facility and do that. And you have to wear mask and all that kind of thing. This is something that you are allowed to do and allowed to request. And it's important. I don't think enough people know that, that they think, oh, they say we can't visit. We just can't visit. We're just stuck. But if your loved one is really, and, and you know, you know your loved one, you can make a case for it. they're not eating, they're losing weight, they're They're not responding. Their memory is worse. They're just, you've seen this decline because that's the stories we hear from my caregivers is that their loved ones, some of them are really are struggling. And I've had caregivers do that, go into the nursing facility and say, look, our loved one needs this and and we're willing to be that person.
0: But it's not only the residents that are being affected, but the family families being affected as well. What are some of those other ways that the family caregivers are being affected by these restrictions here because of COVID?
1: One of the things that I do is caregiver support groups. And so we have a helpline. And so our caregivers throughout the pandemic have reported that their loved ones are declining. There's been so much loss and it's not just from COVID, obviously there's just been this decline. People who have, have loved ones in facilities have noticed it. People who have loved ones at home have noticed it because a lot of their supports have fallen away. Maybe they used to go to adult day. Thankfully, they're open now, but the adult days were closed. A lot of these respite programs, you know, you're maybe afraid to have a home health care worker come into your house. You're like, well, I'll just do it myself for now. Caregivers are facing a lot of increased responsibilities if they have someone at home. And when they have someone in a facility, it's just this not knowing, this This really, you know, not all facilities are created equal. Some of them are really great about facilitating that communication and helping the loved one get on the phone and use the technology to do visits. And others just don't have the staff to do it. Or they're facing their own staffing issues because they have people out with COVID and on quarantine. And so then they have less staff than they normally would. And we all know that in long-term care, staffing is always It's always a struggle. I've had a family who just, who brought their loved one home. Family all came together. And whereas prior to the pandemic, they weren't sure they could do it. Or maybe the family dynamics, enough of the siblings weren't on board. And, but because of the pandemic and nobody could go see their mom, they're like, you know what, this is, we don't want her last years to be alone. And so they brought her home and they figured it out. They had a consultant help them do that and it worked out. There's been really tough decisions families have had to make. I think it's very rare for folks to plan on long-term care as an option, maybe more of a should, because in the end, we always need more care than we think we're going to need as we grow older. And that's one of the things our caregiver groups, we try and help educate folks on how to do that planning ahead of time. So you aren't trying to plan in a crisis mode. Nobody thinks, oh yeah, I want to live in a nursing home when I grow old, you know, no, nobody thinks that. But the truth is, that's what the options are for a lot of folks. So there's a lot of different, different choices, hard choices people are having to make. Because life has been going on through this pandemic and crises have been happening. And you have to decide, are we going to put our loved one in a home? And that's a scary thing right now when you know that you're not going to be able to visit them.
0: So Angie, this is a little bit changing gears here, but I want to come back to an interesting question that popped in my mind here. And that is that I think it was probably my assumption. Again, I just don't know. I know when I come home, I hug my kid. I mean, my inside my house, nothing is different, right, about our lives. We just have to put our masks on when we go. But when I'm home, everything is the same. But at a long-term care facility, are they experiencing a life where they're testing and so people can be without masks, or are they always... Everyone they see is wearing a mask 24-7. Is that the case of most people in long-term care facilities?
1: I would say it is. And so one of the things that has happened also is even communities that have tried to have activities and offer things, maybe they're not doing communal dining, but they're still trying to have socially distanced entertainment. They might zoom in on entertainer. Or they might try and do a craft or an activity. The residents have to wear masks to do that. They're living in their rooms or in their apartments. Anytime they walk out of their bedroom, so to speak, or their living space, know that they're expected to wear a mask. And then all of the, of course, the staff all have to wear masks because they're out in the community. It is very, very different. Like you, my home, I have socialization here in my house with my children and my spouse. and, And yeah, we can take a break from our masks and we can still be together. Of course, we're all going our separate ways sometimes during the day, but we're not in a vulnerable age group either.
0: Do you know what kind of an effect, and maybe that's too hard to answer, but but I would imagine if I was wearing a match, if I had to do that with my kids at home, if I couldn't hug my own kids at home, et cetera, they, all this is so accentuated, it would seem to me. And if you have difficulty breathing, or if you, or if you have difficulty speaking loudly, because you have to speak twice as loud when you're wearing right. a mask, all these things can, after months and months, you would think would really have an effect of isolation on our elderly and in in homes. Do you have more information on how, or some stories on how that that kind of thing right there is affecting people's loneliness?
1: I don't know if we'll be able to answer that for a while. I think the long-term effects are something that's going to take a while for us to realize, but I think it definitely does affect people. And like I mentioned, the reports from that I've heard anyway from some of the activities directors are people just not engaging. They're trying to have things. They're trying to get engaged socially, the residents, all that. And the residents are just, no thanks. They're not signing up for it. They're tired of COVID just like we are. It's too much trouble to put on my mask to go watch a movie with with my neighbor who Mm -hmm. has to
0: sit six feet away from me anyway. And I can't talk to them (laughs) because I can't hear them through that mask.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. The other thing is, is that a lot, you know, a lot of older adults have hearing trouble. So trying to talk, you depend on the lip reading sometimes. And there's a lot of struggle there having to be in a community where it's pretty much you, you mask outside your bedroom. It's going to be a while before we do the long-term effects, but I think it does definitely increase that experience of isolation. I mean, I can imagine how I would feel. I know that it's hard for, you know, my husband's a school teacher and they've been in school this whole time. And so he wears a mask all day long and walks in the door and just like, (gasps) takes a deep breath. Oh, it feels so good to not have a mask on when you have spent 10 hours a day wearing one. And, and I know healthcare workers, there's lots of folks, people working in the grocery store. Lots of folks have had that experience. People who live in long-term care and older folks in general in our society, I feel like are forgotten. And so just to encourage people to remember not to forget a handwritten note, a phone call, All of those things make so much of a difference to people as they're struggling.
0: So how are people dealing with this isolation?
1: There are lots of things that people can do to take care of themselves and to combat that isolation. One of the things I'm going to advocate right away is that we we have support groups for caregivers. And so if you're a caregiver, certainly our support groups are virtual right now. We also have the ability to help you through that. Don't let technology be a barrier. We'll help you through that. And we have a calendar on our website with all of those. We also have phone support and respite through our Heart of Mary companionship program. Some of the things that you can do just to reach out, just like I said, write letters, make time for things that you enjoy. So whether it's a hobby or being outdoors, even when it's cold, bundle up, take a little walk. If you see the sun out, run out and bask in it. You know, Cincinnati in winter is not the sunniest time of the year, but take advantage of the sun when it's out. One thing that people have reported as being a great help during the pandemic is pets. Lots of pandemic puppies, I imagine, are, be- are being placed. The other thing is, there are ways you can volunteer to help others. A lot of times, helping other people gets us out of that headspace where we're feeling lonely and being able to make a difference. And so, There are some safe volunteer opportunities. Catholic Charities is one of those places, of course, where we offer those. But balancing your physical and mental health is really one of the biggest challenges that I think we've had to face throughout this whole pandemic. But not to forget those folks that are in long-term care. If you have a loved one in long-term care, if you live in long-term care, reach out to the staff. Make sure that they are getting the visitors that they're allowed. If they're allowed a compassionate care Visitor, they're supposed to be getting phone and tele and video visits and things like that. Just make sure that those types of things are happening.
0: All right, Angie. So then, where can families and long term care residents go to get help? Even beyond that, how can people get involved, right? If they want to kind of help with this issue?
1: So this Caregiver Assistance Network is a program I work for. And like I I mentioned, we have support groups in our Heart of Mary Respite and phone support. We can arrange for loved ones to get telephone, check-in telephone calls. That's mostly for homebound seniors. If you would like to help out with that, we are always looking for folks that are interested. It's a very safe volunteer opportunity. You would just volunteer to make phone calls to people who need help check-in every day. The Council on Aging, they've been doing phone support check-in calls to seniors in the community as well. I know they can use volunteers, but then also if you know of somebody who needs some support, you can refer them to those programs as well. So Catholic Charities, all of our information can be found on our website at ccswoh.org. And then the Council on Aging is also a great resource for folks, helpforseniors.org. And then another organization that's great, especially if you have a loved one in long term care, is Pro Seniors. And Pro Seniors is a, the long term care ombudsman for the state of Ohio. And so if you have a loved one and you want help getting that compassionate care visitor, Pro Seniors can help you with that. And they're at proseniors.org. So those are some great organizations that can help folks combat isolation. There's also the Council on Aging has wellness programs that now are via via telephone and even our our support groups in that you don't have to have a computer. You can just join via phone. So those are all things you can do to stay involved and combat that isolation.
0: And just as a reminder for our listeners, if you're driving in the car, she just rattled off three or four websites. You do not have to write those down. Just go to our website, as you all probably already have memorized at catholicaoc.org slash being pro-life. Go to that website and you will find all the websites she's listed at the bottom of that page on resources. Anything we talk about is always going to be found there. Here's an interesting question. So, I mean, take my own mother and my own personal story, right? She's 80 years old. This pandemic has been going on since March. I have seen her. I've been over her house, but she has always been quite distant when I'm over there. And I haven't given her a hug and none of her grandchildren have given her a hug for all of this time. She is in agreement with this decision. She doesn't want to get COVID. She's very concerned about what would, because she's elderly and could be susceptible to some things. But I know I miss it personally. So I question that decision sometimes. What can we be doing to help our own relative that might be in a situation where nobody is giving them any human contact for such an extended period of time? in order to obey the CDC guidelines. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: I think that's a wonderful insight. And I think a lots and lots of people are struggling with that right now is how close can I get? How long, you know, at first we didn't think this was going to last very long and it's been going on for a long time and physical contact is so important to us as, as humans, that we really do need that to stay mentally healthy. So I think that just, Every family kind of has to have those discussions. Like I mentioned, the one family who just decided to bring their mom home. They're like, we need her in our social circle so that she can get that kind of physical contact. I know other folks have done things like suit up in a poncho and gloves and, and masks and 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 have those hugs. And I think too to keep in mind is there's a time element to it. It's not just as long as you're masked and you're careful giving a hug spending less than 15 minutes in somebody's presence. Maybe you just stop by for a hug. You don't stop by for a 30 minute visit, but you stop by for the hug and then everybody washes their hands when they leave. There's ways to combat the isolation. I think too, really is the thought that counts too. So sending that extra note, making that extra phone call. And I think that that really for folks that are struggling with the isolation can really help. And
0: maybe you've never felt any need to, to make a handwritten note, sending them something that they can pick, physically hold, and read, or that they're not seeing on their computer. You know, it could be a big deal, probably for anybody, but maybe particularly for someone who grew up in a world before there were computers. And those things would be really helpful as well. All right, Angie. Well, thanks for talking with us today about the importance of taking care of our homebound elderly and how we can all be more aware and help our brothers and sisters and our parents and. Who needs special care, perhaps especially at this time during this pandemic. So, thanks for spending time with us today.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. And I really appreciate you taking the time to invite me. And, and this has been a great conversation. Hopefully some folks out there listening will to benefit from what we've talked about today.
0: And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for tuning on in this episode of our Being Pro-Life series. Head to the website to view all the resources that we talked about today in this episode at www.catholicaoc.org slash being-pro-life. Thank you again for joining us today. I look forward to being with you next time.